Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. Now, on tonight's show, I go looking for the stocks that should do well in 2022. Julia Lee of Berman Invest looks into her crystal ball for those stocks of the future. Hotshot young fund manager Eleanor Swanson of Fire Trail Investments shares her stock that she gave out at the famous Hearts and Minds conference on Friday. That's a very interesting stock. Then the CEO of Aussie Broadband, Phil Britt, explains why this telco is up over 33% this year and why it should keep on going. And then Sean Partners, Adam Dawes, pinpoints his best stock for next year and a whole lot more. This show underlines some really good companies of tomorrow that you should think about today. And on that subject, join me on Wednesday for the Switzer Small and Microcap Conference. Nine interesting companies and their CEOs share their insights and outlooks for their listed businesses and you get a chance to ask them questions. This conference has unearthed some really big stock market gainers in the past. Hope you can join us to register on the link in the description below. So let's kick off with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Julia, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Pete. All right, now I sent you an email and said to you, you know, what are the stocks or the stock that you think really has a lot of potential for 2022? And I know you have lots, but I want you to drill down on the one or the two stocks that you really. So, for example, if your husband said to you or someone who you really loved said to you, Julia, give us, give us one or two stocks for 2022 and please be right. Help me make a lot of money. What would they do? I'm going to give you three. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll run through. Um, you know, I, I do like things like structural trends and I believe that a lot of things move in cycles. And one of the things that's very much in focus for the market at the moment is uh, the potential hike in interest rates that we are going to see over the next year or two. And one stock that fits very neatly into um being able to benefit from that environment is QB insurance. It's one of these dogs that just mm. doesn't have, just hasn't performed very well over the last decade. But you have to also um, keep in mind that over the last decade, we've been in a falling interest rate environment, mm. whereas now we're in a, uh, potentially looking at an, an interest rate environment where um, things are rising. So QBE does make its investment income from its investment portfolio, which is mostly invested in US bonds. So as bond yields rise up, QBE insurance should be in a much better place. Then add into the picture that we're actually seeing premium growth happening. So double digit premium growth uh, globally. So it's a much easier environment for QBE to make, make profits. Of course, when we talk about interest rates, we probably have to talk about inflation as well. And traditionally, commodities have been an inflation hedge. This year, it's been a pretty difficult place to be for a lot of the iron ore miners. But looking into 2022, I think it is going to be much easier. China is trying to help its struggling property sector. will probably look at more stimulus. Um, and that means after the Beijing Olympics that we should see iron ore prices starting to recover. I think now's the time 
time to actually be looking at BHP Billiton. One of the big things that it's doing is it's getting rid of the dual structures. So you used to be able to trade a BHP on London as well as in Australia, but it's getting rid of the London listing. And what that means for the Australian listing is that BHP is going to form a lot, uh, a larger part of our market and the index. So currently it's probably around about five, six percent of the index that will rise to around about nine percent of the index so we'll see the index funds having to buy in to make up for the larger bhp which will be listed here in australia so i think bhp and then lastly i just want to add in a growth stock in there i know growth's not popular at the moment and we've seen a big sell down in terms of the tech stocks but my growth stock for next year would have to be aristocrat leisure. It looks like that Playtech acquisition is going to go through and I think it's going to be transformational for the company. So aristocrat leisure, its point of difference and its real competitive edge comes from its games and the fact that it will be able to offer its games probably on this platform, uh, Playtech will be a positive for the company. So uh, aristocrat leisure. So there's three there, yeah. uh, QBE, VHP and aristocrat leisure. All three pretty big companies, but all influenced by some uh, some big themes that I think are going to play out in 2020. Yeah, and, and you, you're kind of moving into a space that doesn't have that tech um, black cloud hanging over it. But just for people who may well be holding tech, Julia, and they might not be out of money by much, but they're wondering whether they should sell and go into the other part of the market. If they are long-term holders, do you think a lot of these tech stocks will ride up again when the market rotates into that kind of phase? Sure. I guess um, when we look at technology, a lot of these technology companies aren't making a profit or making very small profit. Um, so when you look at an interest rate environment, what, what we've seen in the past is that, you know, interest rates have been virtually near zero. So, um, you know, borrowing costs have been very low and there hasn't been much of a discount or uh, I guess a cost for um, not making a lot of in terms of uh, profitability. But as interest rates rise, these companies, the future cash flows are valued less. So any companies that aren't making a profit at the moment are going to be going to be doing it pretty tough. Having said that, I think the baby has been thrown out with the bathwater when it comes to tech. And a lot of these tech companies are making money. One of the tech companies that I do like is Wise Tech. We've seen that structural shift of e-commerce, lots of investment going into things like ports, shipping, as well as containers around the globe, which bodes well for Wise Tech, which is a legit company and the company guiding a double digit revenue growth. But look, I think uh, when you see moves like this, where the whole sector is being sold off, it does present opportunities. But I think you do have to be very careful. So position sizing is very important because you don't want to have the majority of your company in tech stocks at a time when rising interest rates or the expectation of rising interest rates is seeing the share price in these tech stocks falling. Julia, once again, thanks for your insights. Great. Thanks, Pete. Eleanor, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show, Peter. Okay, let's just try and position you first of all for people who have never come across you before. So your name is Eleanor Swanson and you work for Fire Trail Investments. Correct. Right. Yep. 
Do you manage a fund within Firetrail? Yes, so I manage the Firetrail Australian Small Companies Fund mm. along with two other portfolio managers. Um, we currently have about 350 mil of FUM in that particular part of the business. Yep. We've also got a large cap fund, the Australian High Conviction Fund, um, and we've also got a long short fund, the Absolute Return Fund, and all up we're managing about seven and a half billion at Firetrail. When you're trying to work out what stock you're going to go? Yeah. One stock. That's that's really a hard ask, isn't yes, it? Yes. And and you really want it to go up. Mm -hmm. So after twelve months, I'll say, gee, that Eleanor Swanson, she's a genius. <laughs> so how did you arrive at Megaport? Because and by the way, we're really happy because we've been talking about Megaport in this TV show for most of the year. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, that's good and to we, hear. We interviewed um, um, one of the founders. Um, Bevan. Yeah, Bevan. Bevan, Bevan Sludger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, fantastic. Yes, he was. Uh, Quite impressive. And yeah. Anyway, so tell us why you ended up with Megaport. Yeah, so so basically, um, I guess just to take a step back, part of our investment process is to uh, try and understand what the key two or three drivers of a stock is going to be. And we call this what matters, the two mm. or three things that matter to a company. Mm. Um, and so with Megaport, um, as I'm sure you've kind of become familiar with, the base business of Megaport is extraordinary. So very, very low churn, like we're talking less than 1% customer churn. And we also see that customer spend year in and year out grows by 50% on the Megaport platform. So that tells us Good customers time. are super loyal and they also love the product. So yeah. we're just seeing really great organic growth in that base business. But then what we've noticed over the last 12 months are two key things and two new drivers that have come to the fore. The first is that they've launched a second product, which is called Megaport Virtual Edge. It's basically built off their base business. It's a new product they've launched off all the capex that they've spent building that base business, which is their you know, core connections business. And that actually expands their addressable market from what was 7 billion to 14 billion. And the reason it's doubled is because this new product is actually much more flexible and it allows them to play more in the SME part of the market. And instead of just being focused on, you know, an enterprise head office, mm. they're actually able to support the networks of branch offices. So it really broadens their customer set. But the really exciting thing, and we think the real clincher, is that um, they've re recently brought on a new chief revenue officer who's been focused on building up a partnership channel. And so what that means is instead of Megaport just having 40 sales reps trying to sell this fantastic product, but you know trying to get into all these businesses around the world, they've now partnered with companies like Cisco, VMware, Fortinet. Um, these are giants of the networking industry. They've got huge sales forces. Cisco has 25,000 sales reps. Um, uh, VMware has 11,000. So it's just expanded mm. them from 40 sales reps to 40,000. We know they've got this fantastic product that customers love and they've expanded their addressable market. So if you put that all together, we just think they're beautifully positioned to have a fantastic next 12 months, mm. really prove out this new product. And so we're expecting, I guess, catalysts, which gives us confidence that, you know, if they deliver, the share price should do very well over the next 12 months. It seemed to me when people explained Megaport, um, the people who did kind of said that they're in a, a space of their own, like the, mm. the nearest rival isn't really close to them. Is this something you've got found in your research as well? Yes, absolutely. And I guess the key thing with Megaport is that they're not affiliated with a data centre provider. So their closest competitor is a company called Equinix. 
Um, you may be familiar with them. They're one of the world's largest data center providers. Um, and as a result, that basically limits the number of data centers Equinix can work with to their own data centers because other providers mm. don't want to work with them. So basically Equinix has mm. around 200 locations that they can facilitate clients connecting into their data centers, whereas Megaport has over 700 locations and they mm. can continue to grow that. And that just means that they're much more flexible and able to service clients into whichever data center they want to go into. Mm. You and I were talking about WCM earlier. It make me th makes me think that Megaport really has a competitive edge, which is, you're talked about is growing. Yeah. And that's a great thing if the competitive edge of a business is growing. Mm. You kind of think, this is a business I want to be associated yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we just think it's such a, a powerful place to be at the moment, given you know what's happening in the world. People are working from home. We've got this more kind of disconnected workforce that we all you know need to still connect mm. into that core you know hub of the business network yep. um, and megaport's flexible you know very scalable and and much more cost efficient uh, network just plays beautifully into that thematic okay um, have there been any other smaller cap companies that have you know recently excited you that maybe was on the short list before you selected megaport uh uh, the, the issue with uh, Sone actually is that uh, you've got to go for quite uh, large companies, so they mm. kind of need to be over a certain market cap, certain level of turnover. Mm. So Megaport would be at the larger end of what we'd be looking at in the small cap fund. It's yeah. currently got a market cap of over $3 billion. Um, so there, we have got lots of ideas in our small cap fund, but mm. um, none of them were, were candidates um, for, for the Sone outside of Megaport, um, just given that, that kind of, okay. I guess... Yeah, requirement that they have to be a certain. Market okay, cap. well, forget hearts and minds now. <laughs> I'm worried about my, my viewers. They'd love you to give them one more idea that has been exciting you and the fund. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess uh, a stock that we think has got further to go, and it was actually one of our best performers during reporting season, um, and that was Ardent Leisure, mm. where we saw the sentiment in the stock really turn. Um, and I think a lot of Australian investors might associate Ardent Leisure with Dreamworld of up course, on the Gold yeah. Coast. Mm. However, about 80%, 90% of the valuation of Ardent Leisure sits in their main event business, which is over in the US. Yes. Yep. They run big box um, entertainment centres, arcade games and the like. And what we saw during reporting season was that they were reporting like for likes of plus 40% versus pre-COVID levels. So mm. just so, enormous mm. growth. If you strip out you know, the rebound from you know, COVID, it, it was just incredible. Um, and we think there is a little bit of catch up, pent up demand there. But we also think there's been an actual structural overhaul of that main event business. And I don't think the market's giving main event and, and Ardent Leisure the full credit for that in its current valuation where it's trading. It's currently trading at about six times FY23 EV EBITDA. Mm. Um, and we look at its peer set, which currently trades at 10 times EV EBITDA. And, and the exciting thing about main event is that they've reinstated their center rollout in the US. So not only has the base business recovered incredibly strongly and beat everybody's expectations, but they're also starting to roll out in the US. So we think those two things combined mm. means that main event and the ardent leisure business has a long way to go in terms of re-rating over and, the next 12 to 18 months. And provided Omicron doesn't get in the way, yes, everyone wants to get out. It's a reopening type stock, isn't it, as well? The more we get back to normal, normalcy, the better a company like this will do. Yeah, and in a bit of a perverse <clears throat> way, Omnicron might kind of benefit um, Ardent Leisure just in that um, people are less likely to travel internationally, so they're more yep. likely to be spending money within their home market, you know, within the US. It's a way to get out and see friends and family and feel like you're doing something outside of, you know, spending your days at home. So, you know, we just think, yeah, it's, it's pretty 
good bet over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay, and I, I, I said to you when we were emailing each other, you know, if, if there's any other question you'd like me to ask, and you said, opportunities within the index. Yeah. What, 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 how, how do you want to answer that question? Yeah. It's your question. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, I think it's good because a lot of people maybe don't realise how what, what the small cap benchmark looks like. Mm. Um, and so we break it down into kind of four key buckets of opportunity. Um, and you've got basically the kind of domestic part of the index. So, you know, consumer industrial stocks that are really um, pinned to the Australian economic performance, how we go here locally. Mm. Then you've got about 20% of the index in, in global stocks. So, you know, companies that are, you know, headquartered in Australia, but might have a significant portion of their earnings in Europe or the US or Asia. Mm. Um, and then we've ha also got the resource bucket. It's probably what makes the um, Aussie market unique. 25% of the index is in resource, you know, mining stocks, mining services stocks. Yep. And then finally, we've got about 15% of the index in biotech, um, tech, type stocks so that's kind of how we break down the opportunity set when we think about opportunities over the next 18 months you know we're feeling really confident about the australian economy vaccination rates are really high you know we're still i guess yet to see some of this um, spending benefit flow through from lockdowns not spending on international travel um, you know people are still cashed up from all the stimulus we saw last year yeah so we feel like the aussie consumer is really strong so we like the that part of the index that 40 percent that sits there uh, we also are seeing some really interesting um, companies in the small cap index within that global growth kind of thematic. So within the tech and biotech space, mm. Aussie companies with a great product locally that are looking to go offshore. We think that's there's a lot of alpha to be generated there. Mm. Um, and we also continue to see a lot of um, opportunity in, in capital events. So IPOs, pre-IPOs, you know, we, we recently invested in SiteMinder um, and Judo Bank. So we, we continue to see good quality opportunities there. Um, and we can actually have um, up to 10% of the fund invested in pre-IPO companies. So we are able to be pretty flexible with our mandate there. So yeah, they're kind of the three key areas of opportunity, the Australian economy, um, global growth companies, uh, and then fin finally capital events. Well, Eleanor, you've got us all excited. I'll invite you back in a month or so. And we'll see what else you're thinking about. Thanks for coming on the program. Awesome, thanks for having me, Peter. Well, joining me now is the CEO of Aussie Broadband, Phil Britt. Thanks for coming on the program, Phil. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. All right, mate, like, since I spoke to you last, the company's continued to do well. I must admit, you know, you'd done well before I spoke to you. I thought, how can this guy keep on doing so well? So what has been at the core of this success for the business? Look, I think um, ultimately I put it down to the team and the culture. Um, the team really continues, at the end of the day, customer, customer service and customer experience is at the heart of everything we do. And ultimately, if you look after your customers, they tell other people about it. And so combination of our, our, then our marketing, our word of mouth, that just helps create a snowball effect that allows us to continue to, to attract new customers. We take significant market share of the big guys and, and that, that's what allows us to grow. What's your, your sweet spot? Is it business or is it just you know, normal consumers? Look, today it's normal consumers, um, but we do win a lot of business off. Um, at the end of the day, businesses have people in them and those people tend to be our customers at home. And so when they start thinking about their business needs, um, they go, well, I'm having this awesome experience at home. So, Yeah, 
Well, I think in many ways, uh, that's a, a, a good business model um, to operate on. Um, you, you've, you've announced a, a new um, um, target for the business. Can you explain just what it is? Look, um, what we've uh, done, we want to significantly expand our, um, our business footprint. So we've, um, we've basically made an offer for Over the Wire. Um, they're a business-focused telco. Um, and we propose to acquire them through scheme of arrangement. So assuming the court say yes and the shareholders say yes and uh, no one else comes along and tries to upset the party, then our intention is to acquire them, um, integrate their technologies, products, um, and ultimately team into the, the Aussie business. And then that will allow us to continue to grow our business and enterprise space a lot. Yeah, tell me, to, to do what you have to do, a lot of normal people think, well, where did a small operator, you started off small, um, where do you get the capital, where do you get the support to actually, you know, be a threat to the big telcos? Look, it's, it hasn't been easy over the years. Um, it's certainly, I think, over the last 18 years or so that we've been building this business, I think we've nearly gone broke five times during that. But um, ultimately, we've met some good people along the way. Um, and uh, uh, we've, we've been through successful capital raises, um, both at um, IPO, we, we did um, some work pre-IPO as well. And then more recently in the last couple of months where we raised 130 million through institutions and existing um, uh, shareholders to basically then leapfrog our funding into this. And ultimately this acquisition will be funded through a combination of that money and, and new bank debt. Um, and the banks have never, um, wanted to have a bar of us, I guess, over the last 18 years, but uh, all of a sudden they're, um, uh, they're quite interested in what we're up to. What, what, what do you think has been the critical turning point that has made the banks see you as a, as a real serious player? Look, I think it's that tipping point where you start to go from um, reinvesting and so you're putting all your profits back into growing the business to then when the business is actually starting to make some money. Um, and the fact that they can see that growth being so, normally our growth profile scares them away. Um, they, they want that slow, steady sort of incremental growth, not this exponential type growth. But the fact that we've been able to continue that over such a long period of time, I think they, they've realised this isn't just a, a once-off little blip. It's, it's actually a more consistent um, uh, growth profile. Has the money and the success made it easier for you to market because I feel as I'm seeing you more on TV than ever before. I hope it's not because I'm watching too much TV, mate. I, I hope it's because you are actually advertising more than ever before. No, look, we're definitely doing a lot more um, above-the-line TV-type advertising. Um, we've got um, a fairly significant marketing budget and, and that, that's definitely been fully utilised. Hmm. What's it like being a public company, mate? Because... Yeah, when you are a public company, Phil Brick can get away with anything he wants for entrepreneurial business growth reasons. But it's a lot harder when you've got the, the, the stern eye of shareholders and the media watching you all the time. Yeah, look, it's certainly, um, uh, it certainly it, it has its moments and it, take, it takes its toll. Um, I think our philosophy, one of our core values is, is no bullshit. Um, and, and we take that approach in everything we do, including how we interact with investors and, and analysts and that sort of stuff. And we, we figure that by telling the complete story, 
it allows people to see our logic, why our decision making is, and and the vast majority of the time they they agree with that that logic. So, look, it's for us, it's it's more about making sure we're actually staying within all the rules, making sure we're meeting our continuous disclosure obligations, and that sort of thing. That's really where the key difference is. And the last thing we want is to trip up because we've had such a such a good run, I guess, that um, everyone's kind of just waiting for us to make that one mistake. I think so. Yeah. Uh, do you suffer some of the supply chain problems that other businesses are complaining about, including lack of staff? You are growing. Uh, are you having any of those sorts of issues at the moment? Yeah, look, through the last 18 months, I mean, the, um, we call it internally chip again, the, the silicon shortage, I guess, that's going on in the world. Um, we saw that fairly early on and so started to stockpile the, the consumer uh, routers and so on that we supply. So... Um, we're carrying, normally we'd carry, say, six weeks worth of stock. We're now carrying about six months worth of stock to make sure that we, we don't have issues there and we haven't. Um, staffing is certainly um, challenging, getting that, um, particularly in software development and network engineering, they're two areas that we um, want to grow and uh, are finding it harder and harder to find people. And I guess that's another part of this acquisition. They've got a, a lot of talented people in that area, so it does help us speed up that. What was your background, Phil? Are you a, a tech head or a marketing guy? Or because you, you've been built to play front row for the Wallabies. <laughs> um, look, I'm a, I'm a tech guy at heart. Um, yeah, started off in the networking side, building the network, that sort of thing. And as the years have evolved, I've had to, I, a jack of all trades, master of none is probably the best way to describe it. Bit of finance, bit of um, strategy, um, bit of marketing, bit of everything, really, as you tend to get. When you when you start a business from scratch, so, yeah. but tech tech was at the core. Yeah, one of my big concerns, um, Phil, is that I taught David Tudhove at Macquarie Telecoms and Vaughan Bowen and them too. I didn't teach you, mate. That's the the one thing I worry about. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not I'm not degree qualified or anything like that. I'm the uh, so-called school of not really the school of hard knocks, but just self-taught along the way. At the end of the day. Now, a lot of techies are. A lot of yeah. techies are. Yeah. Because the people at the universities didn't know what they knew. Because I think that part of the reason why um, Mike Cannon Brooks didn't finish his degree, that I, th I think the people teaching him didn't know as much as he did. Yeah. yeah no, look, it's, I think it, it's just the, the tech way. And um, just, just wanted to solve a problem, which back in the day was getting internet into regional areas that wouldn't get it otherwise. And it just sort of flourished from there, really. So, so that was the starting point, was it? You could see that a large chunk of Australia is being ignored and that was your uh, your hole that you wanted to fill. Yeah, no, it was building wireless networks to regional and rural areas and um, just filling the gap and, and helping people out was really what it all started with. So. Okay. So what's, the, what's the, the one big goal then for 2022? Look, for 2022, it, it's really solidify um, the, the business market space for us. We identified 12 months ago, that's um, the area we really want to grow in. It helps improve margin. It, it helps offset um, our residential customer base, which typically use the, the network at night. And so by having more daytime traffic, it just helps balance out all the costs and that sort of thing. So. And having business customers, does that help the, the, the daytime usage? It does. We have um, significantly higher traffic in the evening. And so during the day, we probably have about 50% of our capacity sitting idle. So the more that we can fill that, then obviously the, the better the margin. 
Yeah. And so how many business customers do you have now? And how many do you want by the end of this year? Look, we've got about 28,000 business customers today. Um, adding over the wiring, we'll add another 16,000 to that. Um, I would like to think we can add another sort of 30% again organically on top of that. Great stuff, mate. Well, you've done very well. Congratulations. Always like to have a uh, CEO on, a, on the show that actually saw his share price go up, not go down after I talked to him. Uh, cheers. Thanks very much, mate. Well, joining me now is Adam Dawes of Shuram Partners. Adam, how are you? Yes, really good. Thank you, Peter. Yourself? Very good. Very good. Now, the theme tonight is to talk to people like you, 24-7 players of the stock market, what you like for next year, uh, the stocks that you might like that you think will go up next year. But let's just try and position what you think is going to happen in 2022. So why do we start off with the thorny issue of inflation? What's the story there? Yeah, look, it certainly is a buzzword in the market and it has been a buzzword for, let's say, the last three months or so. You know, it's been one of those ones where, you know, is it going to go up? Is it going to be outside of the range? What are we going to do? And I think certainly uh, inflation is going to bite sometime next year and certainly higher oil prices going forward, higher car prices and certainly higher meat prices, food, all of those kinds of things are going to impact on inflation. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is obviously if inflation does start to rise, what's going to happen then potentially interest rates are also then going to start to bite into the market as well. So it's going to be a nervous 2022, I think. When has there been a year when we haven't been nervous? Come on, seriously, when you think about it. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You've seen probably a lot more corrections than I have. But uh, look, yeah, absolutely. It is It is a bit nerve-wracking. And I certainly think, you know, with this, all this free money that's been floating around for the last three or four years now and sort of really been pushing in the last couple of years, that quantitative easing is, is going to dry up and the market is going to have to adjust. And maybe it's not a crash, but it's going to be an adjustment to back to normal life again. Yeah, what I've been saying to people asking the same kind of questions is just expect volatility and it's going to be good to, to pick stocks. Yeah. I also believe, that despite the fact I think picking stocks is going to be important, as it really is nearly every year, uh, because Australia, our stock market hasn't really zoomed up like the US stock market, uh, I'd be interested in your point of view. I think we might actually do better than the Yanks um, because a lot of the stocks that have really pushed them along have been really high-tech stocks, which yeah. a lot of people think are overvalued. But I think we have a, a lot of stocks that could really drive our market up at a slightly faster rate if you wanted to play the index. What's your view, Adam? Yeah, well, look, certainly even not driving up, even just staying steady is is potentially going to going to happen because we do have some very old world stocks in our market and certainly those stocks will do well. Certainly commodities will continue to power on even yeah. if there's little growth in the market. We'll, we should definitely see those uh, commodity stocks doing well. And our banking system is very, very stable as well. Albeit it's looking a little bit expensive at the moment, that banking system is going to do well. So, yeah, I agree. Look, the NASDAQ has come off incredibly and, and potentially, you know, dare I say it, we might see the US market in a bear market in the next coming couple of weeks as far as that just that constant selling pressure that's coming, which is going to make it hard for our market to stand on its own two feet. But I think even if we come out evens, I think we'll have done a better job over the longer term than the US. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So... You know, given what we've seen historically, and that is between November and April, it's been a good time to be in the market. 
you know, should we take Warren Buffett's advice and be greedy when other people are fearful at the moment and really hunt around for some really good value? It's really difficult when everyone else is fearful because you you know even even we do on the desk you know you're getting so many different opinions and it's hard to listen to that and certainly one of those sectors that's getting hit really hard at the moment is the buy now pay later sector mm. you know do you start to step into this thing or do you wait and you know that's a really hard question or or if you've already got some and you're underwater do you you know do you sell so I, I agree with Warren that you need to have uh, a, a you know just take a step back and and look at the market and basically try to get an understanding. And, and if everybody else is fearful, generally it's the right time to do it. But you need to see maximum pessimism, oh, sorry, yeah, maximum pessimism in the market before you do step in. And I don't think we've seen that yet. I don't think we've seen that blooded bath or the, the capitulation in the market before you can step in. So, look, there's some, definitely, definitely some bargains out there and some, definitely some good stocks. I'd just be a little bit cautious coming into Christmas. I don't know if we're going to get a Santa rally this year, Peter. What do you think? Yeah, I think we will. You know, well, I, not that I, I don't think we have to get it, but you know, it seems to me like even when they, for the first few weeks of December, it looks like it won't come. That last week, yeah, you're right. Themselves. They can't help themselves. God bless them, by the way. God bless their <laughs> ability to buy. Um, and I, I, I guess the interesting point is, because you're a young and racy kind of guy, Adam, you know, when, when, you, when you're looking at a, a stock you're going to buy today, yeah. you, you might have a, a shorter-term view because you have to impress your clients. You don't, you don't want to be wrong for a long time. But for the long-term investor, some of those buy-now-pay-later stocks, to me, look pretty good value if you want to sit and wait. Because I, 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 I don't believe companies like Zip and Tyro will be down forever. I think they will be beneficiaries of normalcy when normalcy yeah. comes by. What do you think? Yeah, yeah look, uh, and it's certainly one that we're grappling with at the moment because our uh, analyst has got a very hefty price target on Zip. So past the sort of 12 to $14 mark, he's got that. And and Zip today, you know, sort of around that sort of $4.50 mark and, and sort of looking like it's going to go lower. We have been here before and the stock has rallied. So, yeah, absolutely. There is that opportunity. Tyro is one of those ones that I think is just a fantastic business all the way around. It, you know, every time you tap your card, it, it takes uh, takes a clip and, and moves forward. So, you know, that sort of pipeline stuff, or that sort of the transmission stuff, where you got the APA, it's a fantastic business as well, and a good defensive business. Transurban, you know, uh, user pay systems. Tyro also that user pay system, I think, is a, is 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 the businesses that you need to look at. I think Zip's got a little bit more uh, headwind against it it's going to struggle and will continue to struggle we are we, I, we larry diamond was over in new york just this last week talking to the kalana guys so fingers crossed there might be something going on there but then also um they're coming out with an update this week hopefully the market starts to get behind that and that will be a good impetus for this stock to start to move in the right direction which is north which means green on the screen which yeah. we all can relax a little bit more. Yeah, I was happy to read that they've got, what, 2.4 million users now. Yeah. And they're 2.4 million customers. You can sell other financial services too as well. Great. But if I can see that, I'm sure other bigger financial institutions will see that as well. <laughs> well, Afterpay is certainly doing the same thing. They've got, a, they've got a debit card. They're putting out home loans. They're mm -hmm. trying to get another part of that share of that wallet. So, yeah, you've got the customer on board. Now you can start selling them more services. So it's a smart move. Yeah, okay. So um, you made that reference to commodities going higher, and we've seen lately that the big miners have bounced off their bottoms. Um, yep. 
So, and, and when you, you listen to analysts out of Wall Street, they're kind of saying that the good old-fashioned businesses could be a place to be, and you've kind of implied that as well. Yeah. Well, look, certainly all these tech stocks, I mean, you know, you've got your sort of top four or five big tech stocks, so your, your Apples, you know, your Facebooks, Twitters, those kinds of things. They're probably all going to do okay. Still, they've got revenue man- advertising, or at least revenue coming in the door. It's just all these ones that the Zillows and all of these, these smaller ones in the US that are really going to struggle. And I think that's where the market then turns to safer markets or markets like ours that does have that commodity exposure. Because even though it's very difficult to work out um, you know, how much iron ore is needed, we know that we can dig it out of the ground for a certain amount of money. We can get it on a boat and we can sell it for a certain amount of money. And that certainty of revenue and that certainty of revenue is exactly what investors want for the longer term. So potentially a little bit of a pullback on the growth side maybe more value looking at or, or, or that is those kinds of stocks um, will we'll certainly do better in this in this sort of, uh, I'm not going to say shaky environment, but certainly an, an uneasy environment that we're in at the moment. Okay, let me put you on uh, under pressure. And because you're a, a gutsy kind of guy, <laughs> you eat pressure for breakfast. I know that. Yeah, that's right. That's, so that's where all the hair came from. Yeah, so imagine if your, your father-in-law came to you and oh, he no. probably has worked out your flaws after all this stuff. <laughs> And he said, yeah, Adam, just give me one stock for next year, one that you really think has a very good chance of going up next year. What, what would that one stock be? Then? It doesn't matter if you've already mentioned it, but what's yeah. the one that you, you've put the, the Adam Dawes reputation on? On the line, and it's going to be a little bit boring here, but it's Goodman Group. Yeah. This one is actually going to do continue to do very, very well. Uh, you know, you've got this industrial REIT. More and more packages are getting sent around the world. We've got more and more of these major conglomerates coming into Australia looking for warehousing ability or, or capabilities. Um, you know, Goodman Group has been performing really, really well. But I think there's a new re-rating that's going to come on Goodman Group. It's going to provide you a decent little dividend. It's going to provide you the growth and it's the warehouses of the future. So albeit it is my father-in-law, uh, right. I still want to make sure that he gets looked after. Okay. And I think Goodman Group is certainly one of those ones that will fit the bill. I wrote a story for the Switzer Report today, mate, where I, I looked at the two stocks that I would like based on based on the investment strategy that WCM used, namely, does it have a growing moat and does it have some cultural quality about it? Now, picking culture is really hard. I think it's, it's easy to pick businesses with bad culture, but ones that have great culture can be a little bit hard. But I went for a company called Megaport because I do think it's kind of got a competitive advantage and it seems to be growing it. And another one I went for was Ordinate, AD8, which is another one that's sort of where its rivals aren't close to it. And and I I think, well, they might be two companies. Have you guys got views on those two companies? Well, look, certainly Megaport is is has been a fantastic one. We've we've really enjoyed Megaport and the success mm-hmm. that it's had, because it's really disrupting the whole ability of getting a business to the cloud. You know, you go to Telstra and it takes three months to get to the cloud. These guys can do it in thirty seconds. So, you know, all all of a sudden they've got some fantastic uh, operational issues that uh, that they can move forward. And certainly, um, you know. Um, what was the other one? Uh, um, I, I was actually at lunch with on Friday with our uh, head analyst. He loves Ordinate. It's his only company that he reckons in the next year to two years is going to do very, very well. He covers 25 different stocks. Yeah. And we all had a bit of a lunch bet next year. 
whoever wins or whoever's stock is the is the worst has yeah. to pay for lunch. And uh, he picked ordinators. Mm-hmm. His 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 pick to do better than everybody else's. I really like that business. I really like the space. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what I've heard is that it's it's real competitive with Blue uh, Bluetooth. And Bluetooth is owned by a cooperative. This is a privately owned business. So he's, the guy who explained to me is it's like a private monopoly in a yeah. space that will benefit from the reopening trade. The reopening yeah. trade meaning events and all those sorts of things where that technology works a treat. So it's interesting. I haven't bought it yet, but I think I might tomorrow. No, no, absolutely. And also look at it from a different point of view. Yes, you've got the big stadiums that are doing this, but then you've got all the, also all the new train uh, stations, uh, anything with a uh, with an audio visual or or a, uh, an announcement system mm. is all in still copper wires, uh, you know, red plug, white plug, that kind of thing. They're moving that all to digital. So there's a huge upgrade that will happen across the globe with Autonax technology being at the front line there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Adam, thanks for your work, your work and your ideas over the year. I'm sure a lot of people benefited from it. Thanks very much. Have a great Christmas, and I'll talk to you in the new year. Can't wait for the new year, Peter. Thank you so much. And that was Adam Dawes of Shaw and Partners. And once again, before I go, I hope you can join me on Wednesday for the Switzer Small and Micro Cap Conference. Nine interesting companies and their CEOs share their insights and outlooks for their listed businesses, and you get a chance to ask them questions. So this conference has unearthed some really big stock market gainers in the past. So I hope you can join us and register on the link in the description below. I'm Peter Switzer. See you on Thursday.